21, that is also known as white hellebore, Indian folk, or swamp hellebore. The root is the part used, it is a most valuable agent with which to control the frequent, strong, bounding pulse common to many febrile and inflammatory diseases. When the pulse is hard, incompressible, and bounding, this remedy is more effectual than aconite. Dose of the tincture and fluid extract, from one to two drops, repeated every half hour to two hours, according to the severity of the symptoms, this remedy should be given in very small doses, frequently repeated, if we would secure its best effects. Our favorite mode of administering both veritrum and aconite is to add 10 drops of the tincture to 10 or 15 teaspoonfuls of water, of which 1 teaspoonful may be administered every hour. Yellow JSSAMINIGOSAMINUM SEMPERVRENS The root is the part used, through its controlling effect over the sympathetic nervous system. This agent exerts a marked influence in controlling morbid excitability of the circulatory organs. It allays irritation and determination of blood to the brain. Indicated by flushed face, contracted pupils, irritability, and restlessness, a frequent condition in diseases incident to childhood, its concentrated principle, gelsamin, is an efficient remedy in bloody flux or dysentery, it should be administered in very small doses to secure the best results, only one sixteenth to one eighth of a grain is required, repeated every two hours, it should be triturated with sugar of milk or with common white sugar in the proportion of 1 grain to 10 of sugar, dose of tincture, from 5 to 15 drops, of fluid extract, 3 to 6 drops, of gelsamin, as a sedative, 1 fourth to 1 half grain, stimulants, stimulants are medicines which had the power of increasing the vital activity of the body, some had a very transient action, while others are more permanent in effect, cayenne pepper capsicum anum, cayenne pepper is a powerful stimulant, dose of the powder, from 1 to 6 grains, administered in milk, of the tincture, from 5 to 10 drops, largely diluted in milk or water, black pepper piper nigrum, black pepper is a warm, carminative stimulant, dose from 5 to 15 grains, of the fluid extract, from 10 to 15 drops, prickly ash xanthoxylum praxinum, prickly ash bark is a stimulant and tonic, the parts used are the bark and leaves, dose of the fluid extract, from 5 to 15 drops, of the tincture, 10 to 20 drops, of the active principle, xanthoxylin, 1 to 2 grains, alcohol is a powerful stimulant, it is never used in its pure state in medicine, but when diluted forms a full remedy in many diseases, it is generally employed in the form of whiskey, gin, rum, brandy, and wine, ammonia is an excellent stimulant, dose of the carbonate, from 3 to 5 grains, of the sesquicarbonate, from 5 to 10 grains, this is the same as the carbonate, which has been exposed to the air and slack-powdered harpshorn, of the aromatic spirit, from one half to a one teaspoonful. The aqua ammonia and liquor ammonia are of such variable strength that they are seldom employed internally, but may be applied externally and taken by inhalation. Dr. Pierce's compound extract of smart weed, this quickly diffusible stimulant and genial anodyne we have spoken of under the head of anodynes but its medicinal properties equally entitle it to a place and mention under the class of stimulants. As a stimulant it spurs the nervous system and arouses the circulatory forces. Congestion of the lungs, liver, bowels, or uterus, embarrasses the functions of these organs. Frequently this congestive difficulty may be entirely obviated, and the circulation of the blood restored to the surface of the body, by the administration of a few doses of this pleasant remedy. Thus it often acts like magic in giving relief. 
promoting the circulation, and restoring the organs to their accustomed functional activity. Full directions accompany every bottle. Tonics. Tonics are remedies which moderately exalt the energies of all parts of the body, without causing any deviation of healthy function, while stimulants are transient in their influence. Tonics are comparatively permanent. White poplar liriodendron tulipfera, called also American poplar, or white wood, the part used is the inner bark. This is a mild but valuable tonic for domestic use. Dose of the infusion, from one half to one ounce, of tincture, from one to two teaspoonfuls. Chamomile anthemes nobilis, the part used is the flowers. This is a mild, unaritating tonic. Dose of infusion one-fourth ounce of flowers to a pint of water one-half to a one-ounce. Gentian gentian alluded. The root is the part used. This is a favorite domestic tonic in many localities. Dose of powdered root. 5 to 10 grains, of the tincture. 10 to 20 drops, of the fluid extract. 5 to 10 drops. 4 or 5 times a day. Enuix vomica strychnos nux vomica. Or dog button. This is a powerful tonic. It increases inertion and is particularly valuable in cases marked by feeble circulation and general impairment of muscular power. In overdoses it is poisonous, and hence must be employed with much caution. Dose of the tincture, 3 to 5 drops, of the fluid extract, 1 to 3 drops. Willow salix alba, willow is a tonic and an astringent. Dose of the decoction, from 1 to 2 fluid ounces, of the concentrated principle. Salicin, from 2 to 4 grains. Dogwood cornus florida, dogwood, also known boxwood, is tonic, astringent, and slightly stimulant, dose of the solid extract, from 3 to 5 grains, of the infusion, from 1 to 2 ounces, of the fluid extract, from 10 to 20 drops, wafer ash trifoliata, also called swamp dogwood, the bark is used, this is a pure, unirritating tonic, dose of tincture, 1 half to a 1 teaspoonful, of fluid extract 10 to 20 drops, of the infusion, 1 to 2 fluid ounces, golden seal hydrastes canadensis, golden seal is a powerful and most valuable tonic, it is a valuable local remedy when used as a general injection in leucorrhea, dose of the powder, from 10 to 30 grains, of the tincture, from 1 half to a 1 fluid dram, of the fluid extract, from 10 to 20 drops, of the concentrated principle, hydrastin, from 2 to 3 grains, of the muriate of hydrastia, from 1 half to a 1 grain, American Colombo Fraser Carolinensis, American Colombo is a simple tonic, dose of the powdered root, from 10 to 15 grains, of the infusion 1 half to a 1 fluid ounce, 3 or 4 times a day, of the active principle, Fraserin, 1 to 3 grains, gold thread coptes trifolia, gold thread is a pure and powerful, pentatonic, and is also efficacious as a wash force or mouth or as a gargle, Dose of the decoction, from 2 to 6 fluid drams, of the tincture, from 1 half to 2 teaspoonfuls, of fluid extract, from 10 to 20 drops. Iron therum, different preparations of iron are frequently prescribed by physicians, they are particularly valuable in anemic conditions of the system. The following are a few of the preparations of this metal most generally used, iron by hydrogen fairy reduction, dose 1 to 2 grains, carbonate of iron fairy carbonas. Dose 1 to 3 grains. Citrate of iron fairy citrus. Dose 1 to 3 grains. Pyrophosphate of iron fairy pyrophosphus. Dose 1 to 3 grains. Tincture of emuariety of iron tincture of fairy chloride. Dose 3 to 20 drops. Dr. Pierce's favorite prescription. The favorite prescription. 
in addition to those properties already described, likewise combines tonic properties. In consequence of the never-ceasing activities of the bodily organs, the system requires support, something to permanently exalt its actions. In all cases of debility, the favorite prescription tranquilizes the nerves, tones up the organs and increases their vigor, and strengthens the system. Directions for use accompany every bottle. Dr. Pierce's Golden Medical Discovery, in addition to the alterative properties combined in this compound, it possesses important tonic qualities. While the favorite prescription exerts a tonic influence upon the digestive and nutritive functions, the Golden Medical Discovery acts upon the excretory glands. Besides, it tends to a retard in usual waste and expenditure. This latter remedy tones, sustains, and, at the same time regulates the functions. While increasing the discharge of noxious elements accumulated in the system, it promptly arrests the wastes arising from debility, and the unusual breaking down of the cells incident to quick decline, it stimulates the liver to secrete, changes the cell complexion, and transforms the listless invalid into a vigorous and healthy being. At the same time, it checks the rapid disorganization of the tissues and their putrescent change, while it sustains the vital processes, it island therefore and indispensable remedy in the treatment of many diseases. Chapter III. Baths and Motion A.S. Remedial Agents. The remedial effects of bathing are generally underrated. This want of appreciation is more often due to the improper manner in which it is performed than to an insufficiency of curative virtues. The term bathing not only implies a cleaning of the body or certain portions of it, but also the application of water in such a manner as to influence the nervous system, and regulate the functions of the secretory organs. Cleanliness, while it preserves health and promotes recovery, has reference only to the hygienic influences of water and not to its curative effects. There are several kinds of baths, the names of which indicate their character, manner of application, or the part of the body to which they are applied. Among others, we have cold, cool, temperate, tepid, warm, hot, hot air, Russian, Turkish, vapor, electric, sea, shower, sponge douche, foot, sits, head, medicated, alkaline, acid, iodine, and sulfur baths, temperature influences the properties of any bath, thus the sponge, sits, and alkaline baths may be employed warm or cold, according to the effect desired, the cold bath, used at a temperature of from 40 degrees to 60 degrees far, is powerfully sedative, and is employed for its tonic effects, if the vital powers are low, or the individual remains in it too long two or three minutes should be the limit. The reaction is slow and its effects injurious. While it is highly invigorating to robust persons, those who have a low standard of vitality should be cautions in its employment. A local bath may be followed by beneficial results, when a general bath would be inadmissible. For these reasons we advise the general use of the cool bath, at a temperature of from 60 degrees to 75 degrees far, if, in any instance, the reaction is slow. We recommend the temperate bath, at a temperature of from 75 degrees to 80 degrees far. The time of remaining in the bath should be regulated by the strength of the invalid. As a rule, it should not exceed three minutes, and the colder the water the less time should the patient be immersed. Immediately after emerging from any bath, the body should be thoroughly dried and rubbed with a moderately coarse towel until a glow is experienced and reaction is fully established. The attempt to toughen children by exposing them to a low temperatures of either air or water, cannot be too emphatically condemned. This caution, however, 
does not apply to the employment of moderately cool water for ablutions. The cold or cool bath should be taken in the early part of the day, but never during digestion. Whenever reaction does not follow bathing, artificial means must be resorted to, as stimulating drinks, dry warmth, or exercise. The tepid bath, the temperature of which is from 85 degrees to 92 degrees better, is generally used for cleansing the body. It is prescribed in fevers and inflammatory affections for its cooling effects. It is usually medicated with some acid or alkali. The latter unites with the oily secretion of the skin and forms a soapy compound easily removed by the water. The temperature should be regulated according to the vitality of the patient, and the bath may be repeated two or three times a day. It removes superfluous heat, and keeps the skin in a condition favorable for excretion. The warm bath, at a temperature varying from 92 degrees to 98 degrees better, is always agreeable and refreshing. It equalizes the circulation and softens the skin. By removing all impurities, it moderates pain and suits the whole system. It does not weaken or debilitate the person, but is in every way beneficial. It is an efficient, remedial agent in many chronic diseases, convulsions, spasmodic affections of the bowels, rupture, rheumatism, and derangement of the urinogenital organs. It should be employed immediately before going to bed unless urgent symptoms demand it at other times. It may be medicated or not, as circumstances require, but should always be taken in a warm room. The hot bath at a temperature of from 98 degrees to 110 degrees better, is a powerful stimulant. It excites the nerves, and through them the entire system. It causes a sense of heat and a constriction of the secretory organs, but perspiration, languor, and torpor soon follow. In the sudden retrocession of cutaneous diseases, it restores the eruptions to the surface and gives speedy relief. The hot bath may be applied locally when circumstances require. The Russian bath consists in the application of hot vapor, at a temperature varying from 112 degrees to 200 degrees better. The patient is first subjected to a moderately warm temperature, which is gradually increased as he becomes inured to it, the head being surrounded with cloths wet in cold water. Upon emerging from it, the bather is plunged into cold water or receives a cool shower bath. In rheumatic and cutaneous diseases, chronic inflammations, and nervous affections, the Russian bath is an effective remedy. The Turkish bath is a dry, hot air bath. The bather passes from one apartment to another, each one being of a higher temperature than the preceding. He undergoes a thorough shampooing, and, although the person may be scrupulously clean, he will be astonished at the amount of effete matter removed by this process. The bather then returns through the various apartments, and, upon emerging from that of the lowest temperature, he experiences a delightful sensation of vigor and elasticity. As a hygienic agent, the hot air bath has been constantly growing in favor. Its value is now recognized by all physicians throughout the world. The judicious use of the Turkish bath serves to secure perfect equalization of the circulation. Glandular activity is increased, elasticity and power given to the muscles, and a permanent, stimulating and tonic influence imparted to the system, a condition at once conducive to the enjoyment and prolongation of life. Dr. Erasmus Wilson, of England, says, in a paper read before the London Medical Association, the inhabitant of a large city would live as healthy, immured within city walls, as amid the fields and meadows of the country. His bath would be to him in the place of a country house or horse it would give him air, exercise, freshness, health, and life. The bath that cleanses the inward as well as the outward man, 
that is applicable to every age, that is adapted to make health healthier, and alleviate disease, whatever its stage or severity, deserves to be adopted as a national institution, and merits the advocacy of all medical men, of those whose especial duty it is to teach how health may be preserved, and how disease may be averted. The hot, dry atmosphere of the Turkish bath promotes rapid evaporation from the surface of the body, and it is well known that rapid evaporation from the surface is a cooling process. A person's finger may be frozen in one minute's time, by throwing upon it a constant, fine spray of rhinoline or sulfuric ether. The rapid evaporation of the light fluid congeals the liquids of the tissues and a film of ice is rapidly formed upon the part. In a less intense degree the same cooling process is carried on over the whole surface of a person. When in the hot room, or sudatorium, of the Turkish bath, the evaporation from the surface is so rapid that one can hardly appreciate the profuseness of the perspiration going on. The evaporation from the surface so rapidly carries off the heat from the body that one finds himself able, with little or no inconvenience, to remain in a room heated to from 180 degrees to 200 degrees or even 220 degrees there. As a hygienic measure to be regularly or occasionally employed by persons in fair health, the Turkish or hot dry air bath is far superior to the Russian or vapor bath. 1. It produces more profuse perspiration, and is therefore more depurating, or cleansing, in its effects. 2. It does not relax the system, but rather produces a tonic effect, and fewer precautions are, therefore, necessary to guard against taking cold after employing it. 3. The Turkish bath can be better ventilated than the Russian, while the air is heated to a high temperature. It can be readily kept pure by constant changes, in the Turkish hot rooms, or sudatorium, of the Invalids Hotel and Surgical Institute. Provision is made for bringing underneath the floor is a current of fresh air from without. This column of fresh air is carried under the center of each room where it escapes from the conductor, is warmed, and rises into the room, from which extraction of air is constantly going on through registers opening into tubes, communicating with large ventilated shafts which are kept hot summer and winter, to ensure a draught through them. In this manner, thorough ventilation of our Turkish hot rooms is ensured. The Turkish bath not only combines a most agreeable luxury with a decidedly invigorating and tonic influence, but also, by its stimulating power, induces proper glandular and cellular activity, producing a healthy condition, sullowness, tan, and freckles, the result of local or general increase of the pigment granules of the skin soon disappear under the stimulating influence and regular use of the Turkish bath, which causes rapid development of new and transparent cells. The colored granules are thus gradually replaced and the skin assumes a beautiful clearness and purity of appearance, which transcends immeasurably the unhealthy hue that follows the frequent employment of the various cosmetics. The value of an agent which thus improves the general health, ensures immunity from coughs, colds, and other diseases and at the same time produces a healthy and permanent beauty of complexion, is at once apparent, the purity of person, perfect circulation, increase of healthy nutrition and glandular activity produced by the Turkish bath, serve to make it of the most lasting utility, the eminent Dr. Madden has said, and his experience is confirmed by every regular patron of the bath, that, wherever the Turkish bath was a national institution the hair of the women was peculiarly luxurious and beautiful, I can vouch for it that the use of the bath rendered the complexion more delicate and brilliant, that the eyes became clearer and brighter, all the personal charms were enhanced, 
I can recommend no hygienic measure more beneficial or effectual in preserving the health and in attractive personal appearance. Pimples, blotches, eruptions, and other disfigurations of the skin are removed by the frequent use of the Turkish bath, leaving the integument smooth and soft. How the Turkish bath is administered at the Invalids Hotel and Surgical Institute, the hot rooms, of which there are two, are exactly similar in every respect except as regards temperature. The first room has a temperature of from 110 degrees to 120 degrees there. The bather is supplied by the attendant every few minutes with copious draughts of cool water. Gradually the relaxing influence of the elevated temperature manifests itself. The capillaries slowly dilate. The veins enlarge under its gentle stimulus. And small points of perspiration appear upon the surface, which assumes a slight, rosy blush, a delightful calm. A feeling of perfect rest and luxurious ease is imparted to the senses. From this room, after an appropriate interval, the bather enters the second room, in which the atmosphere is higher by from 20 degrees to 30 degrees and it may be made still higher, its regulation requiring but an instant. A thorough sweating occurs while the subject remains in these rooms. During a period of from 10 to 40 minutes, the secretions of the skin, at first impure and loaded with the debris of dead cells and extraneous matter, gradually become purer, and clearer, until, finally, all trace of color disappears and the pearly drops of sweat come full and free. Soon the attendant appears and leads the way to the shampooing room, where, lying upon a warm marble slab, massage is applied most thoroughly to every portion of the body. By the massage, shampooing, or rubbing, the superficial veins are thoroughly emptied of their contents. The muscles are given elasticity and tone and glandular activity is promoted, innumerable dead epithelial cells, together with other impurities, are rolled off in flakes under the skillful manipulation of the attendant, after a thorough shampooing, the shower bath is applied, to secure a contraction of the capillaries and a diminution of the perspiration, the spirit vapor bath is very effective when employed in the earlier stages of acute, febrile, inflammatory, and painful diseases, In many forms of chronic diseases the administration of a spirit vapor bath once in from 3 to 15 days, is a valuable adjunct to the treatment of these affections. It exerts an exceedingly beneficial influence upon the entire system, and, when habitually employed, may ward off disease. The body should be moistened with an alkaline solution before the administration of a spirit vapor bath, after the perspiration which it occasions has subsided, which will usually be in from 3 to 4 hours. Sponge the body with a mixture of the following ingredients, water, 3 gills, alcohol, 1 gill, salt, 1 teaspoonful. By this method the patient experiences none of the unpleasant effects which generally follow the employment of diaphoretics. Various kinds of apparatus have been devised to facilitate the application of the spirit vapor baths. Most of them are cumbersome and expensive, and, consequently, are seldom used except in hospitals or sanitariums. The following method described by Dr. J. King, may be advantageously employed. The patient is undressed, ready for getting into bed, having removed the clothing worn through the day and put on a night shirt or other clothing to be worn while sweating, and during the night, if the bath is taken at bedtime, he is then seated on a high Windsor or wooden bottom chair, or instead thereof, a bench or board may be placed on a common open bottom chair, care being taken that the bottom is so covered that the flame will not burn him. After seating himself, a large coverlet or blanket is thrown around him from behind, covering the back of his head and body, as well as the chair, and another must be passed around him in front, 
which last is to be pinned at the neck, loosely, so that he can raise it and cover his face, or remove it down from the face from time to time as occasion demands during the operation of the bath. The blankets must reach down to the floor, and cover each other at the side, so as to retain the vapor. This having been done, a saucer or tin vessel, into which is put one or two tablespoonfuls of whiskey, brandy, alcohol, or any liquor that will burn, is then placed upon the floor, directly under the center of the bottom of the chair, raising a part of the blanket from behind to place it there, then light a piece of paper, apply the flame to the liquor, and as soon as it kindles let down the part of the blanket which has been raised, and allow the liquor to burn until it is consumed, watching it from time to time to see that the blankets are not burned, as soon as consumed, put more liquor into the saucer, about as much as before, and again set it on fire, being careful to put no liquor into the saucer while the flame exists, as there would be danger of setting fire to the blanket, and producing injury to the patient, continue this until the patient perspires freely, which, in a majority of cases, will be in five or ten minutes, if, during the operation the patient feels faint or thirsty, cold water must be sprinkled or dashed in his face, or he may drink one or two swallows of it, and in some cases the head may be bathed with cold water, as soon as free perspiration is produced, wrap the blankets around him, place him in bed, and cover him up warm, giving him about a pint of either some good store tea, ginger, or some diaphoretic herb tea to drink, as warm as he can take it, after two or three hours, remove the covering, piece by piece, at intervals of twenty or twenty-five minutes each, that he may gradually cease perspiring, the above method may be improved by using an ordinary hoop skirt, ten to twelve inches below the bottom of which is suspended a larger and stronger hoop, the upper and smaller hoops should rest upon the patient's shoulders, a woolen blanket, large enough to reach and rest upon the floor, and envelop the whole person, is thrown over the hoops, unless the bath is employed to diminish the quantity of fluids in the body as in dropsy, the patient may drink some simple, diaphoretic infusion, to hasten or facilitate perspiration, when he perspires freely, small quantities of cold water may be frequently given, there is little or no danger of taking cold after this process, if ordinary precaution is observed, and it is easy, agreeable, safe, and effectual, occasionally we will meet with patients, upon whom it is almost impossible to produce the slightest moisture, much less perspiration, the skin of such persons is generally dry and harsh, communicating an unpleasant sensation to the touch, in most instances the skin may be restored to its normal condition, by adopting the following course, first, anoint the whole surface of the body and limbs with olive oil every night upon retiring to bed, second, every morning wash the whole surface with a warm, weak, alkaline solution, employing considerable friction while drying, third, every two weeks administer a spirit vapor bath, a perseverance in this course for a few months will accomplish the desired result. Frequent reference to spirit vapor baths will be made by the author of this work. In speaking of those diseases in which its employment will prove beneficial, sea bathing is an excellent remedial agent in chronic disorders, particularly in those of an atonic character, such as nervous prostration, dyspepsia, and general debility. Much of the benefit attributed to this mode of bathing is undoubtedly due to other influences such as pure air, exercise, change of scenery, diet, and associations which surround the patient during his sojourn at the seashore. At first, the duration of a sea bath should not exceed three or five minutes, but it may be gradually prolonged to fifteen or twenty minutes, 
If the patient is very feeble, one or two baths a week are sufficient, and the most robust person should never take more than one a day. They should always be taken in the earlier portion of the day, before breakfast if possible, and never during digestion, before entering this bath. A moderate degree of exercise should always be taken, enough to arouse the vital energies, but not to produce fatigue. Suitably dressed, the patient plunges into the water, in which he remains during the prescribed time. Immediately after emerging from the bath, the patient should be thoroughly dried and dressed and then moderate exercise should be taken to induce reaction. If the reaction is slow, a mild stimulant may be taken and the duration of the bath must be diminished the next time. When sea bathing is beneficial improvement is soon manifested, the blood becomes richer, the whole system is strengthened and the functions are performed with more regularity. To the rich, sea bathing is a luxury, but it is a remedy beyond the reach of the poorer classes unless they live near the seashore. The shower bath produces a shock to the nervous system by suddenly coming in contact with the skin. Numerous streams of cold water fall upon the neck, shoulders and body of the patient who stands beneath the hose or reservoir. When the patient is plethoric, feeble, or nervous, or when some internal organ is diseased, the cold, shower bath should not be employed, in simple debility unaccompanied by inflammation or symptoms of internal congestion. Its use proves advantageous. By moderating the force of the shower, and substituting tepid water, the most delicate persons can endure it and profit thereby. The usual means for inducing a good reaction friction, and exercise, should be employed. The douche bath consists of a stream of water, dashed or thrown upon the patient from a moderate height or distance, with considerable force. The size, temperature, and force of the stream may be modified to suit the exigencies of the case. It is locally employed as a remedy for sprains, weak or stiff joints, old swellings, etc. The cold, Douche bath is more powerful than the shower bath and should be given with the same precautions which govern the application of the latter. The sponge bath admits of extensive employment in both acute and chronic diseases, and its simplicity renders it of a told value. It consists in a general or local application of water medicated or not at any desired temperature. The quantity may be great or small to suit the requirements of the case. If it is applied in acute diseases at a temperature agreeable to the patient, it is exceedingly grateful and may be repeated as often as necessary. It may be rendered alkaline by the addition of some compound of soda, in the proportion of a teaspoonful to a quart of water. A portion of the body may be bathed at a time, and quickly dried, thus avoiding any exposure to cold. It removes excessive animal heat, relaxes the capillaries, equalizes the circulation, and produces comfort, tranquility, and sleep. Nothing is more conducive to the health and comfort of laboring men in summer than a daily bath, and it is a matter of regret that there are so few conveniences for the purpose in most homes, especially those in the country. Farmers in particular need bathing facilities, and yet in most cases they are almost entirely without them. For their benefit we will describe a device which we can recommend to all who want a cheap, convenient, and easily managed apparatus for sponge bathing in the bedroom. The articles required are a piece of rubber cloth a yard and a quarter square, four slats, two inches wide and three feet long, notched at the ends so as to lock together in the form of a square, and a large sponge, the slats, 